Hi, everyone. Before we begin today, I just wanted to tell you that there will not be an addition to the end of this episode. Uh, We didn't want to make this too long, and with an addition, it would be too long. But I do hope that you stay through the entire conversation as we talk about sin today. And we will add on a piece of what it looks like to live in the frontier, to observe things on the frontier, the next time the length of the episode allows. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all of your feedback. Please feel free to email us at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know. We call it Frontier because it is the place between where we, the hosts here, have grown up in the faith and where we might be going. And we believe that many of you who might be listening are in a similar place, a frontier that is scary, that is kind of weird, and really unknown. And what we want to communicate well to you through these podcasts, through these episodes, is that you are not alone, that it is okay to not know what you believe, to not know why you believe it, and certainly not know where you're going. My name is Nathan Whitaker. My name is Ryan Harris. And we are here today to talk to you about a very fun topic. We're going to be talking about sin. Yay, sin. Yay, sin. Sin is a very important topic in Christianity. It is a big thing for understanding why Jesus needed to die on the cross. It is, I would say, probably a linchpin within theology. Maybe not scripture, but certainly theology, at least the ones that I inherit, the ones I've inherited, and I think Ryan as well. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about how we inherited that, what our heritages have brought to us when it comes to sin, and what that means for us throughout this conversation. And what we're going to do is we're going to share that first, and then in our next episode, we're going to talk about how we saw some cracks in that, how deconstruction kind of happened in our lives as a result of our upbringing and our experiences meeting And then finally, we're going to spend some time in the last episode of this conversation, and we're going to talk about where we might be able to go with sin in this new frontier. So I want to start by asking a simple question, a a question that, you know, initially is really easy to answer, but also has a tremendous complexity to it. What is sin? Well, sin is bad, man. Sin is bad. Um, (laughs) Sin... You know, it's it's. I had to think a lot about this when we were getting ready. I think partly just because it was such a central, foundational, basic thing to my understanding of faith and how it worked, my understanding of Christianity. You know, that it was almost hard to define. Um, but I think what I what I would define it as, according to my understanding growing up, was that sin was. Um, was something that separated humanity from God. Sin was uh, evil 
usually evil actions or uh, wrongdoing, something that made us so that we were apart from God. You know, it always started with the story of the two people in the garden, you know, Adam and Eve. And at first they were with God. They walked together with God in the garden and everything was wonderful. And God told them, you can do whatever you want. Just don't eat this fruit. Then, of course, they did with some um, convincing from the serpent, who I was always told was the devil. But anyway, Mm -hmm. um, and then once they did that, that was where sin entered the world. And now because of their action, human beings were sinners or sinful, were somehow um, made sinful in their very nature. The sinful nature was what what it was often called. And um, this was such a such a fundamental part of it that it was the basis of every gospel presentation. Um, missionaries were based on this idea that we are sinners. We need God to save us, you know, because God was holy and good. We were evil and sinners, and so we were separated from God because of that sin. Um, and so it was this like this state of not just like being apart, though it was wrong. It was even like a sickness, you know. It was something by which we were afflicted. Um, all of these kind of ideas that uh, pretty much came from that beginning in the garden. There, yeah, uh, I like how you said that sin entered the world. Uh, and something maybe we could talk about a little bit later is does Adam create sin? How does that, how does that work out? I I don't know. Um, not really a question we asked when we were younger. Um, but I, I always wondered, like you kind of touched on it, but there's two separate ways that you could approach sin. You could approach it first by saying it's stuff that you've done, uh, bad thoughts that you've had, uh, bad actions that you take. And so forth. Which is usually what it was for me and our side of things anyway. Yeah. It was usually bad actions, bad thoughts, those kinds of things. Okay, say more about that. Well, it was um, because you had this sinful nature, right? You were a sinner. Human beings are sinners by nature. Um, it made you do things that not just were sinful, but sin was also always linked to death, right? So sin causes death. And so things you do that are sinful... Not that like if you tell a lie, you're going to die necessarily, but this idea that uh, if you continue in sin, the end of that sin is death and hell, of course. But I just mean like it was always linked to these things were bad because they separated us from God, but also because they led to destruction in some way in the future at some point somehow. Uh, Ultimate separation, right? Right, right. You were separate while you were alive during sin and then ultimately separate from God um, once you died because you died a sinner. And you go to hell away from well, God. Well, yes, which forever and probably forever. on fire. But yeah. yeah. Interesting. So it was more action for you and, and culpability in terms of sin, what that meant. Yeah, I think so. Because for us, the the other way that sin is talked about that was probably our stronger motivation it was around original sin um, because that allows for justification to be strong um, because it's bigger than us right sin is bigger than what we do Um, it is something that we have within us and uh, we used original sin as a conversation piece a lot interesting (laughs) a lot it was it was something that when I noticed that 
other Christians weren't using that phrase very much. They would use sinful nature like you did, but yeah. original sin was something that Catholic people used a lot more than other Protestants. And I wondered why. And as I, you know, grew up, I really didn't know. Uh, I find out later. It's just that's our heritage. There's nothing really weird about it. It's just different. Uh, but we spent a lot of time about how our original sinness, our sinfulness, is something that creeps up often. Um, doesn't mean that there's not culpability. Doesn't mean that we don't talk about that. And certainly the rest of this episode will bear that out. However, uh, the central talking point, let's say it like that, the central talking point was certainly original sin. And then in that same story, Genesis 3, there's the proto-gospel. There's the original gospel given to us. See, that, that's really interesting because like, I remember original sin being a thing that was said from time to time, or it was, but it was always like, uh, that's the explanation for where sin comes from and why we sin. But the focus was always very much on the now and, and sinning or not sinning, the consequences of what we do and don't do. Um, original sin was just kind of the, yeah, that's where it comes from. But now let's talk about how you've sinned or haven't, how to not sin, how to repent or, or you know, whatever it is from there. Um, it's just interesting because it sounds yeah. like it was pretty central for you. Whereas for us, it was more of a, an explanation. Now let's move on to the important part where okay. we are now. Yeah, I think it was so central to us because what it does all the time is it brings us back into the narrative of Jesus Christ and the justification. Right. And so our sins, certainly we talked about our original or not original, our our sins that we commit, the culpability that we have. Uh, again, that'll be clear as we go forward. But the reason why the emphasis on original sin is because it would always lead us back to this law gospel dynamic that we've talked about where you're a sinner, but don't worry, Jesus died for you. And the best way Theologically for us, for, for us to comprehend or to explain that would be through original sin. That's how it worked for us. It's it's, it's interesting because I'm just thinking about this. Um, like for you, it sounds like sin was very much a current thing, you know, like this is our nature. This is where we are. Um, and Jesus forgives us. Right. Yeah. Whereas for for me, I think it was it was very much a, you know, we are sinners right now, or we have sinned. But I think, as I think about it now, it seems like sin always had a future dimension to it, right? Huh. So something I have done now is bad, is evil, is wrong. So God is upset with that. Therefore, I have all these future consequences to worry about. So it could be like a practical consequence on earth, like, you know, um, I drank because drinking was evil in that world. I drank alcohol, got in a car wreck and killed a whole bunch of people. Now I'm a murderer. Um, and then got that's a sin. And so I might go to hell. Right. Oh, but it goodness. was it was like, OK, that's an extreme example. But honestly, <laughs> yeah. not. I mean, like, that's the kind of thing that would come up. Right. Yeah. Or so like whatever it was that you were talking about, it seemed to have this like, here's what you've done. Here's what's going to happen. Or make sure you don't do this because if you do, then X, Y, and Z will happen, right? Um, and all the other letters of the alphabet too, depending on what you were talking about. <laughs> um, it just kind of occurred to me while you were talking about that of like, it's not that it, it certainly had a present dimension to it, but it seemed like it was always about, it always went 
quickly from there to um, the future and even the eternal future, right? It always had the eternal consequences, good or bad, right? Not sinning had good eternal consequences and sinning had really bad eternal consequences. Right, right. Yeah, for us, I think I like that distinction between the present and the future, for me, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, for me, I think what's really going on there from a Lutheran perspective, at least theologically, I'm not saying people do this intentionally, it's just what I receive from people, is that it always put us back into the cycle of law and gospel, sin and grace. Uh, if we focus on original sin, then it can always get us back to grace. And in a sense, it's kind of simple, Right. It at least lets us know what to expect. So if you sin, like, for example, your example of the the uh, car accident, that gets messy really quick because there's all these what ifs and contextual variables and so forth. That well, could so you easily, say. Well, I mean, it could easily <laughs> problematize it um, in, in our understanding. Right. Maybe not in right. the future understanding, but in ours, it could. Um And the way that you avoid that, or at least a potential way you avoid that, is to talk about original sin, because even if that thing isn't sinful, even if the thing that you're thinking about isn't sinful, you are still a sinner, and therefore the cycle continues, and on you go. So is it just like an expected thing, like you're a sinner because of your sinful nature? So like, like did it have the same kind of... um, not consequences exactly, but like, like the way I'm talking about it is kind of like it was this very uh, ever present, very serious problem all the time that you had to be on guard against. Whereas the way you're describing it sounds like, tell me if I'm wrong, but sounds like it was a, it's a fact of our nature. It's a fact of reality. So we just have to trust God and go from there. Yep. That's exactly right. It's almost, I don't want to say it quite like this, but it's the best word I can think of. It's kind of fatalism. It is always going to happen. Sin will always be something you do. And instead of escaping that reality, let's embrace it as uncomfortable as it might be and figure out where that actually fits in. And that's where, you know, original sin and then the system kind of plays out. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because that was very much absent from my understanding of sin. Not that there, like I understood original sin, that it was a thing, but it did not lead at all to the same result. For us, it was always, okay, well, yes, this is where it comes from. You've done these things. Now let's fix it, right? Either through repentance or whatever it was. Well, always through repentance. Yeah, but, right. Um, we got to fix it right now. Don't don't wait because who knows what'll happen, you know, okay. that kind of stuff. Is it would it, would it be possible in your your heritage your upbringing for you not to sin? No, I mean theoretically. I, I mean, I mean personally, no. I was convinced everything I did was sinful. You know. Yeah. Um. But even like theologically, for us anyway, there are people in in some parts of the theological world that that are close to us theologically speaking that might say maybe not. But for us, it was never a never a thing of like you could. You could not sin. You could stop sinning, or, or something like that. Um, it so was then always I could, very much a thing. I could imagine that creating quite a bit of terror because if it's something you can't escape, 
you will always do it. And when you do it, you're always close to the edge of hell. That's that's got to be horrifying. Well, it was terrifying, right? Because remember how I talked about there were always these um, eternal consequences that were linked directly to sin. It wasn't uh-huh. even just like you did this thing was wrong and God's upset. It was you did this thing that's wrong. And now what about how do you like, are you worried that you have backslidden was a big term, right? This uh-huh. idea that at some point after enough sin or a serious enough sin, it was never really clear to me because I don't think it's clear to anybody what the uh, quantity or quality of sin meant you were now backslidden and not saved anymore. But there was this understanding that some amount of sin or some condition of your heart when you sinned or after or refusing to repent maybe was a big part of it. Okay. At which point you were no longer saved, right? Because you... um, you hadn't been forgiven if you haven't asked for forgiveness was was pretty much no that was the idea that i understood huh. right okay. my repentance is required for god to forgive me because if i don't repent i'm still guilty you know so how do um, people not get exhausted under that that's a great question because i did i always was right and it, i was always concerned that not everybody had the same problems I did, I guess. Um, but I know for me, it was always, oh, gosh, am I too far from God? Oh, gosh, have I drifted into, you know, being lukewarm was another one. Like it talks about in one yeah. of the churches to Revelation, spit you know, you out. spew you out of his mouth. Yep. I remember doing an object lesson in in uh, youth group where they gave us all, I think it was some like Sprite or something. And then we put two, like an Alka-Seltzer in our mouth and you drank it, you know, and you had to try and keep it in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and we thought that was funny and gross, and yeah. it was. And then uh, they talked about you <laughs> know, they spewing the out ass. of... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it took a nice, fun thing and made it terrifying. Um, or then, of course, there's the whole rapture part, right? You got to be... I remember even people wearing, in the 90s, really bad t-shirts that just said, are you ready? Yeah. In the sense uh-huh. that like, if Jesus returns, if the rapture happens and you've sinned too much, or you're too sinful, or you're far from God... You ain't going with. Yeah. <laughs> and right. then it gets real bad from there. So um Interesting. Yeah, it was always this uh this state of for me, it was always this state of terror of of like I personally, this may not be true for everybody, but personally, I was never ever sure that I was actually okay. Like I believed that I was like, if I did something wrong and I said, and I repented, I believed that God forgave me. I really did, Uh but it didn't take long for something else for me to do something else that I was then guilty again, you know? And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty stressful (laughs) to say the least. It's interesting because, uh, the way that I would kind of describe my experience of sin is different than fear. Um, and maybe we need to tease this out. But for me, uh, because it was always something that was there, uh, one of the words that you said earlier was sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And th- the word I would use is corruption, uh, that we were corrupted to our core with sin. And, you know, that works with original sin. And does that mean we pass that on uh, genetically? I don't know. But we were corrupted at our core. And as a result, everything was tainted. Like we talk about this uh, Isaiah uh, in chapter six, I believe, 
where he sees the cloths in the corner and they're all, you know, filthy because, oh yeah, you know, they're touched by humans and uh, it's just a sinful corruption that's a part of us and it never goes away. For us, it was this like continual state of being that we were sinners. Sinners wasn't always, it is connected to action. But when it, you think of it that way in terms of original sin and corruption, it's something that's within you. And so to answer my own question, was it possible that you couldn't sin? No, yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't possible because you were corrupted. In fact, and I think there's some healthiness to this piece of it when it comes to understanding grace, at least, everything has sin attached to it. Everything does. Now, I've learned to accept that in a healthy way, which we can talk about later. But as a kid, as a teenager, that was not what I needed to hear. That was not something I enjoyed hearing. It meant that even when I'm trying my very hardest, nothing I do is something worthwhile. It is always touched by sin. It is always... um, it always leads to a place where I have to ask God to forgive me. And so what that did is that sin was always a position that I had in front of God. I was always sinful there. It was not something where God could celebrate me. It wasn't something where God could uh, value me and love me in the way that I would talk about it now. I mean, he loves me in this paradigm with sin, because he loves me in spite of my sin. Um, and he loves the future me that's free of sin, you know? Um, yeah. It, free from the corruption. Gosh, it's just, it's so fascinating to me. For us, it was this idea that, like, I remember them talking about where, I think it's in Romans where Paul says, my righteousness is as filthy rags, right? Like this idea that we could never do it on our own, which sounds very similar to what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Um, Yet at the same time, there was always this message of, but you got to make sure you live right because you don't want to be on the devil's territory and whatever, you know, huh. got to on from there. Yeah. And uh, it was like always this. I never realized it at the time, but looking back on it now, it was this this conflict of like, well, you're only saved by faith, not by what you do, but you better make sure you do all these things and don't sin because sin will make you not saved. But also you can't not do it on your own because you got to depend upon God. Like, it was just like this weird tug of war. I guess I was the rope. I don't know. But it's it's like this weird tug of war between these two seemingly uh, at odds theologies. And yet it was just kind of, I don't know. It just seemed to make sense. It was seemed to be natural. And I never really realized that there were these dual conflicting messages. Huh. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, maybe some people... Maybe not everybody would have had the, well, I'm sure not everybody had the same struggle I did in exactly the same way, but it's just always interesting to me when I'd hear about you can't trust works righteousness because you can't do it on your own. Only Jesus can save you, right? Only your faith in Christ, but also make sure you don't do these things because if you do these things, you're going to hell. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a hypocrisy. It's probably more in line with the Lutheran tensions. Yeah, I think it's just, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor here, but it's not so much hypocrisy as just a unrecognized um, 
tension within the system, at least. Yeah. You know, like it's like, it's just baked into it. And it's like, I don't know that anybody really noticed that in the same breath, these things would be said, you know, it's kind of like switching paradigms. I kind of, the image that came comes to my mind is, you know, when you're at a casino, you're playing the slots and then all of a sudden you switch over and you go to the blackjack table you're all trying to do the same thing, which is get money, but there are different ways you do that. And it seems to me that, uh, you know, Lutheranism has this kind of stuff all over the place, too. So it's not unique to you, but it's like when you're talking about works righteousness, yeah, go over to the slots and do that. But then when you're talking about uh, sanctification, then you go over and you play blackjack and make sure you don't sin. That's kind of what it, it sounds like to me. Yeah, although I think it's I think it's hilarious you chose a casino yeah, gambling. and gambling as your metaphor because <laughs> honestly though it I wouldn't have known it then but that I think is very much what it felt like. It felt like roulette, right? Like, oh, I did huh. this thing. I'm really sorry God, I'm going to pull the handle and hope hope it's okay, you know. Um yeah. or it's okay until I immediately do the same thing again or I have, you know, the hundredth lustful thought about a dude I like or whatever it is and then uh-huh. we're right back to where we started and and so um yeah, it's like I don't, I'm sure you didn't think of it that way, but it's no. it's a really apt metaphor because it, <laughs> at least for me, it felt very much like that. You know, it was about like a roll of the dice or whatever, wherever you want to take. Can I metaphor. say I did that intentionally? Take sure. credit? Sure. Yeah. Why not? You're All right. a smart guy. No one, no one pay attention to what Ryan just said. I did that on purpose. <laughs> So uh, I said what sickness and corruption meant to me, but that was your original word. What does that mean for you? If it's not in the original sin sense, what's it mean for you? Um, I think it was like, maybe, maybe we could compare it to some type of sickness that we do through behavior that like inflicts something on ourselves. So like, I don't know the chronic smoker gets lung cancer because they keep doing sinful things. Right. Um, ah, like, okay. You know, something like that. Like, so I don't not know like that... cancer. Um, well, or you, I said that was terrible. <laughs> not like brain cancer or liver can liver is bad example, stomach cancer or that kind of stuff. It was like, not like the kind of cancer that just happens because yeah. cells divide strangely, but because I did something. So like, like alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver, right? That happens because I drank too much over a long period of time repeatedly. Right. Huh. And I think for me, sin was kind of like that because it was like, it makes us sick. It corrupts us. Yes. But it's because I keep doing these things. Right. And so then my spiritual body, if you want to keep with that metaphor, breaks down until you know, we've, we, if we repent, Jesus heals us. But, you know, I was never sure of that. And I, like I said earlier, I was never sure at which point it, not that it, I don't want to say I wasn't sure at which point Jesus couldn't heal me anymore because I don't think I believed that. But I think I believed that I was somehow able to remove myself from Jesus doing that yeah. based on my continual smoking or whatever it is you want to use in that metaphor. Well, and you used, I think, again, I don't know if it was intentional. If it wasn't, you can say it was. Uh, uh, You used addiction, right? So addiction metaphors work really well for that, I think. Uh, Even though that's not our experience, addiction works really well because, you know, I've heard the phrase addicted to sin. 
Yeah, I think very much that. I don't know if I heard anybody ever say that, but I do. Re- I do think that would be a fair way to characterize it. Like, like because we are sinners, um, we can't help it. We're gonna sin, and if we sin too much, at some point, we're not okay anymore. But you know, as long as we repent, then Jesus comes in and and heals it, and it's okay, at least until my next cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, right. I, I know we're kind of beating this metaphor to death, but it also <laughs> works because those things in that world were some of the worst things right. you could do. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what's interesting, I want to go to our last little piece here because uh, I think I know how you're going to answer this question, but I want to answer it first. Um, the question is, so in this tradition or in this, uh, really this expression of religion altogether, Um, Jesus says something that's really important, which is that blaspheming is the unforgivable sin. It's the one thing that you cannot be forgiven from. And we can explore that a little bit. But I the question I want to ask is, um, were you afraid of that? And why? And I want to answer first, because I think yours is more powerful. Um, and fits better. But for me, I was afraid of blaspheming. Uh, in fact, there's a story I remember when I was a kid, I was really mad at, at God. I don't even remember why. I was probably just angry at my dad, to be honest. Um, but I was kids, angry. They tend to share the same space in our heads anyway. Yeah, right. Uh, that's why I chose my dad. It could have been my mom, for all I know, or my brothers. I don't know. I, I was just mad at somebody, I'm sure. And I remember very explicitly telling God to go away. I just didn't want him around anymore. Um, and I was so mad. I, I probably even said stuff like, I don't believe in you anymore, <laughs> which is kind of ironic telling God I don't believe in him anymore. Right. <laughs> um, it's just really fascinating. And, uh, you know, a little time went on. And then, of course, I got terrified because I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I've heard this is the un- only unforgivable sin. And so I went down and I talked to my dad and eventually he got to the place where he reminds me that Peter does the same thing and Jesus embraces Peter at the end. And so I remember that. I mean, that was good. I remember hearing that and that was what, you know, Lutherans would say, hey, there's the gospel. Jesus loves you no matter what. And that's great. Uh, However, uh, for me, blaspheming wasn't necessarily something that I was all that concerned about until I actually did it. Uh, I wasn't terrified of it. I was terrified that I might do it, but it was more in the sense of maybe if I'm not close enough to God, maybe if I'm not going to church, maybe if I'm not confessing my sins, that would be a big one, then maybe the corruption would win over. And maybe I would be away from God and not even know it. Well, so that's interesting because that sounds very similar to what I was talking about before. Um, Maybe, you know, at some point there, there comes a point, a limit, a whatever, where I'm not okay anymore and I can't be, you know? Um, Yeah, that's, that's interesting because you are correct, by the way, that I also worried about this. I'm I'm (laughs) sure you're shocked to hear that. Um, yeah, and we I didn't think, plan this at all, so no. I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I think what was really hard for me was I was always worried about that because you know I was a I was a good kid, so when they told me I had to read my Bible every day, I I did my best, you know, and 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 I'm a I'm a fast reader, and so I was reading a lot, and I came across that, and 
So I immediately wanted to know, well, what does it mean? Like, what what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, right? Because if this is the only unforgivable sin, well, damn it, I want to know what it is yeah. so I don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> damn it is a funny word it's a to big use deal. there. Yeah. The context. Um, it's apt. Yeah. But, like, the thing is, is I don't know that I ever really got a good answer in the sense of, like, what it is. I, I will say that I remember my mom telling me, and actually – this actually did help. And so it maybe was a helpful way to look at it. She said, well, I think she said, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I know that if you're worried about doing it, you haven't done it. Right. Cause there's some idea of like blaspheming is something that has to do with like ultimate rejection, ultimate refusal, or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Yeah. And so that did help somewhat because I was really worried about it. So if mom was right, that means I wasn't doing it, but the fact that I was never able to hear what it actually was, like I was never totally sure, you know, I don't have a story like where I ever told God to go away because if I'd have done that, I <laughs> honestly don't know what would have happened. Like seriously, like I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like that would have been a disaster. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I very much worried about that all the time because I had no way to guard against it. I had no way to prepare huh. for it. I had no way yeah. to um, ask anybody for help because I just didn't know what it was. I just knew it was, there's something out there that I can't be forgiven for. And it's interesting that we take one thing that Jesus says in one place and right. get so much anxiety from it, you know? And a contextualize it too, I'm sure. Right, right. And uh, I've thought about it since then, and I don't really worry about it anymore not in that way, certainly. But um, yeah, it was very much a problem because I was always afraid that I either had done it or would do it. And then once I did it, well, then you're done. Too bad. You know, it kind of makes me think of the movie Alien. Uh, There's always an alien lurking around. You never know if it's going to get you. Which is really what made that movie so brilliant and why it worked so well, you know, because you barely even see the alien in that yeah, movie. Yeah, right. But it's always there, even though it has like 10 minutes of screen time or whatever it is, yeah. you know, yeah, that is a good way to think about it. It was always that uh, xenomorph in the in the grates above me. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So you were scared of the very real possibility that you could commit a sin or that it would get you. And for me, it was more the worry, uh, I guess there's fear there, but the worry that eventually I will be disconnected from God and not know it. And that, boy, that falls into a lot of different things we've talked about, you know, like the Christ and culture stuff of leaning left and slippery slope and all that kind of stuff, excuse me, all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, it was more not to be guarded, but to make sure I do the right things in order that that never happens. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's, it's interesting. We talk about this and we note this a lot, how we have similar feelings and similar experiences. They just have different flavors to them. Yeah. Um, Or they came from a different like origination point, but the, they end in a very similar result or spot, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, they sometimes even come from wildly divergent places and then are striking and how similar they are when it, you look at how they affected us, you know. So we've talked about what sin is for us and how we inherited it and the impact on it. 
And, you know, the impact, we're always trying to be honest about where we see it now uh, in terms of how it hurt us and how we grappled with things. But there's always a benefit to this inherited understanding of sin or whatever we're talking about. So, Ryan, what was the benefit for you, or at least what do you think the benefit that uh, made the most sense to you about sin? About this understanding of sin that I yeah, had. Yeah, right. Um, you know, this was a tough one because I really had to think about it because as we're going to talk about in a, later, this this caused me some problems, this this whole approach to this idea of sin. But I think, I think one benefit, and a pretty big one, honestly, that it had was because sin was this serious, serious thing, because sin was equated to death and hell and destruction and and all of this stuff, the fact that I was also told that Jesus died on a cross to save me from that, and furthermore, that he took all of those sins on himself, so my sin, everybody's sin, who had ever lived, ever would live, you know, all of that, that he died to save us from the effects of those sins, I think it really did elevate uh, the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. Like, it made this idea that um, very concrete, like, you know, when Jesus said, um, is it in John where it says the greater love has no man than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. Right. Um, And what you see is Jesus doing exactly that, but not just for his friends, right. For every human being that ever would live and ever had lived. And, you know, however many trillions of people that ends up being like, like Jesus took all of that on himself because he loved us. And so I think this understanding of sin really, really put Jesus's sacrifice in a really good positive spot um, that really did make his love for us more concrete than it is other times or in other ways of looking at it. Did you ever hear um, in your churches growing up, did you ever hear that Jesus experienced hell on the cross? Um, not really because, uh, they would say that that's not in the Bible, right? Um, like it's not explicitly stated kind of deal. Okay. And so because of that, then, oh, well, that's just some Catholic thing or whatever would honestly be how it's treated. And and so, no, I, I never really heard that. Um, in fact, uh, one of the reasons I know that somebody said to me one time why they didn't like the creed was because it said he descended into hell when that's not in the Bible is what, what they'd say. Oh, okay. And I think that's, that's kind of funny now because that's missing the point, but, um, but no, I never really heard that. Yeah. Well, I asked because I wondered like, so you said Jesus's sacrifice was more real. And as I do, I asked, well, why is it more real? And I kind of jumped to the conclusion that it was because, he took on what you would take on, which would be an experience of hell on the cross. So maybe a better way to do that would be just to ask you, why was it more real? Yeah, I think I think his love was more real because he underwent, underwent. He had he was tortured. He was shamed. He was beaten. He was had nails through his damn hands. Right. And Uh that was something that should have been what happened to me. Right. Because that's the penalty for sin. Remember how I said sin creates death, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, And so 
I remember being told that it should be us on the cross, right? That's the penalty that we should be paying. Okay. But Jesus did it for us so because he loves us, right? Gotcha. Um, even though we've done and continue to do all these horrible things that lead to death, Jesus did that in our place. And so it's hard to say if someone is willing to do that, even for people he never met in person, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, like clearly that is a very real, concrete, and very understandable expression of love. It's easy to understand that when you talk about it in that way. Right. And it makes sense. I mean, if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to our conversation on salvation, uh, that's the companion to what Ryan just said. The atonement theory of Christ standing in our place, it has to be there. We haven't talked about atonement necessarily yet, but... uh, you know, that would only make sense with an atonement theory of substitutionary, right? Right, right. And which very much was the only model that I ever really heard. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So for me, it wasn't that, uh, I mean, we, we had that same model. We still believe that all kind of stuff. But I think the benefit of this way of thinking of original sin and how that impacts us and how we're corrupted is it does push us to full dependence on God. If there is no way for you not to sin, then you have to depend on the one who gives you a way out. And for me, I think that was really the huge benefit because everything was nice and tidy around sin. Uh, If, like I said earlier in this conversation, even if you don't commit the sin, Uh, In a certain example or a certain way, if you can get your way out of thinking about it as being sinful in terms of actions, at the very least, you are still sinful according to original sin, and you cannot solve that problem. You cannot talk your way out of it to be uncharitable. So what you have to do is you have to depend on God to remove that from you, to have the surgery to take it out, if you will. And I've heard, you know, Uh, metaphors and images about that in sermons and more oh yeah for sure so that was that was the big thing for us is that i think and and to this day i still live that now the flavor of what that is uh is not nearly coated with fear like it used to be but uh it still was a full dependence on god and even today people that i know who have this understanding of sin some of them are the most faithful Christians I've met. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are completely and fully beholden by God. Yeah, and I think I think I would say the same thing for people in my world um is that if you think that if you look at Jesus's death on the cross because of that, right? The way I was talking about it, it does make it does provoke this response in your heart, not just of like I mean, not just like, oh, I'm I'm really sad because I, I made that necessary, but like just the relief and um, the just really deep thankfulness you have that somebody did that for me so that I didn't have to. Um, it really it really created a desire to want to honor Jesus's sacrifice in the way that I lived. Right. Which, yeah. Yeah, I think that is a good thing. I just think, as we're going to talk about, um, it did create some problems. But the understanding itself of how important Jesus's work on the cross was was not 
not not the issue. I think that was yeah. very good. Right. Okay, so that's that's kind of what we inherited when it comes to sin, the ideas that we grew up with and the way we looked at it. And and um, thanks for sticking with us while we explored it. And uh, we're going to next time we're going to talk about um, some some other other things we've learned about it since some other questions that have come up and and uh, just those kinds of things. So hope you'll check it out. We want to encourage you to email us at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com because we want to start to engage with you if anyone happens to be listening to this. And we want you to send us any ideas that you have about what you would like us to talk about. You can send us any questions. And of course, you can send us any feedback that you would have. Compliments help. Um, You know, feedback usually people think are negative, but that's fine. You can send us things that we can fix, but also some feedback about what we're doing well would be good too. (laughs) There's not enough of that feedback in this world. So send us your thoughts, send us your questions, send us your feedback at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com, and we will see you next time. Thanks again for listening.